Welcome everybody to the Wealth and Wellbeing Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Resch, and I'm joined again by Ellie Luce. Ellie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So we have a very special guest on today's cast, and um, I'm very excited to introduce him. Um, he really is and kind of epitomizes this notion that we strive to accomplish on this podcast, which is to help demystify the world of financial services. And oftentimes, um, certainly internally, First Foundation, when we have questions about financial services, we think, what would Craig say? Or how would Craig answer this? And so um, that is indeed our guest, Craig Cardokas. He is our treasurer. Hello, Craig. How are you? I am well. Thank you for having me today. Of course. So like I mentioned, there, there's oftentimes we find ourselves wondering um, what you would say about certain things. But before we jump into um, some of your answers to those things that we oftentimes ponder your responses to, it might be beneficial just to start by addressing what is the role of a treasurer. You, in fact, hold that title with us. And I think, Ellie, you aptly put it best when you said most people remember the treasurer as the person that controls the money in the game of Monopoly. And yes. I think that's where most of our experience with that terminology um, might might end. Uh, maybe somebody ran for treasurer in high school. <laughs> ASB. Um, ASB treasurer, yes. Um, it makes sense to vote for Craig. But in this particular case, um, Craig does a lot more than just oversee the money. So Craig, maybe just as a jumping off point for the audience, tell us a little bit about your role. Sure. Uh, it's um, maybe a little different than what a lot of people would expect, but um, First and foremost, it's important that uh, the bank is liquid all the time. So I'm always looking out, uh, you know, 12 months and longer to make sure that we have plenty of liquidity for the bank, have uh, backup lines with uh, the Federal Reserve, with the Home Loan Bank, with uh, major correspondent banks throughout the country. So uh, we never want to find ourselves in a situation where we are ever short of money. So that is the the primary role of a treasurer to make sure that that's uh, always taken care of within that when uh, you when you mentioned liquidity of a bank it, it um, certainly harkens back to last month when many of us were at home watching um, it's a wonderful life the, the story <laughs> oh, yes there, there are runs on banks and there is issues with liquidity is that what you're specifically speaking about when um, you're talking about liquidity well maybe a little bit like that uh, you generally don't see runs on banks like uh in the movies, but uh, you want to make sure that you always have enough liquidity for uh, should we want to do an acquisition, should we want to do uh, a big purchase of something, uh, investments, uh, or if you know the customers want their money, they have the right to demand their money back, and we will give it to them gladly. So that's their money. So uh, it does, it's not always that real. Real life's not always like the movies. Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah, that's right. For that particular instance. Okay. So, you know, these topics that keep coming up, um, certainly in the halls of, of First Foundation Bank are um, along the lines of interest rates, job reports, home prices, even, even the pandemic. And I know those are things that you need to contemplate because, in fact, you're trying to help our our bank not only with liquidity, but you're also trying to help our clients um, receive the best potential products that we can offer and, and keep us competitive for, for their needs, whether it's um, for depository needs or um, borrowing needs. So um, maybe 
maybe we can start off by just addressing some of the, the metrics that you follow. Um, and, you know, I, I know interest rates is probably the one that's um, the most near and dear to your heart. Right. Uh, interest rates certainly have a big swing on uh, the financial system. And uh, we need to um, manage that aspect of our business. And when we do that well, it affords us the opportunity to give our customers the absolute best pricing, the best uh, products we can. So it's something that's important, not just from our standpoint, but from the customer's standpoint too. So we, we need to be competitive. We need to be uh, offering uh, reasonable uh, products at reasonable uh, prices and rates. So as, as the interest rate environment moves, we move with it. And uh, whether that's up or down, that's just the nature of what financial industry does. So. Yeah, that makes sense. And and right now we're in a situation where I mean, even even when we were making show notes um, in anticipation of this this podcast, um, things are changing very rapidly. Um, but you know, we're in a position right now where the Fed has basically said interest rates will remain at zero for the foreseeable future. Um, and so, w if interest rates are going to be zero, then what what change what changes and what obviously rates will stay the same, but what else would stay the same as a result of keeping interest rates at zero for the foreseeable future? Well, when you talk about rates, you're talking about two different things there. Uh, and most people see when the Fed lowers rates, that's on the short end of the curve. There's the long end of the curve where loans are priced at. The short end is where the deposits are priced at. And so when they move rates down, they're generally talking about the short end of the curve, which affects depositors. And so you see that roll through in uh, lower rates to um, uh, deposits. And uh, when the longer end of the curve goes down, you see that roll through to lower rates on the uh, loan side. And so those have been moving in conjunction, both moving lower. And that's you know great for borrowers. It's a little harder for the savers. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, and then the other, the other area where I know you're sort of helping us all keen in on is um, the jobs reports. And so we've had some pretty um, unattractive recent weeks of job reports, and um, certainly, you know, with what has happened in the pandemic. Um, that probably won't get better for the foreseeable future, but short of being a prognosticator, what do the job reports tell us about um, the different products and services that we offer? Yeah, the, the way you phrased it there is kind of an interesting way to say that uh, it, it certainly hasn't been a good jobs uh, year the past 12 months. Um, we uh, look at those numbers and those are a good leading indicator as to what the economy is gonna be doing. And the irony of what's going on in today's economy is a little bit unusual. We see a, a very split economy. The, the sectors that are face-to-face -face type uh, businesses, those have struggled significantly. And where other type of businesses that aren't so much that type of business or a hybrid of that, uh, that have the ability to have people work from home or more remotely, those businesses have done pretty well. And Interestingly enough, the economy has done, as a whole, okay, but there are certainly segments of the economy that have suffered significantly, and that's the part that we need to, to pay attention to and make sure that gets back on track when, uh, you know, everything opens up again, so. Yeah, and I don't know if you were necessarily referring to my um, vernacular there, but it, it certainly was impressed upon me um, 
by a economics professor at UCLA who never referred to it as the joblessness report because it was so pessimistic. <laughs> he wanted to refer to it as the jobs report. Um, so you're focusing on actually the job creation, not the um, the removal of jobs from the uh, the system. So perhaps that's what you were alluding to there. <laughs> in, um, in a lot of so, ways, the the jobs numbers have come in better than a lot of um, economists had expected. And uh, that isn't to diminish the fact that there's a lot of people that are, you know, looking for jobs, but it has, it had dropped so significantly in March. Uh, and then we got a fairly strong rebound. And I think everybody is kind of just waiting for uh, the vaccines to take effect, uh, the virus to get under control, and, and then we can start to come through this. So, Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and obviously, we're at the tail end of um, the uh, election cycle, and I don't know if we want to touch too much on that, but as, as it stands today, um, the Electoral College has certified the results for Biden. There is a transition that is occurring. Um, we're in the wake, as we're recording today, of um, what was a very tumultuous week, to put it you know lightly. But um, obviously, that factors into some of this as well, because you know there are some um, you know whether it's travel. I mean, Airbnbs you know announcing that they're canceling all their reservations. Um, so if even if they were going to see somewhat of a rebound. Um, in the first month here, it looks like a few industries are still going to be impacted, irrespective of what happens in the with the with the vaccine and the virus, because of what's happening in the political arena. Right. That certainly introduced uh, another uh, element of risk into the uh, economy. I'm I'm very hopeful that we can uh, transition through this uh, in a peaceful and uh, constructive manner, and. Uh, that we can confirm the uh, people that need to be confirmed by the Senate uh, for the cabinet and uh, get the uh, right players in place there. So I'm, I'm hopeful we'll move forward into the, you know, the remainder of the year in a, in a positive and constructive way. Yeah. um, I think that's well said. So what are some other data points? I, I I touched on, on jobs. I touched on, um, interest rates. What are some other data points that you consider or factor in as you're evaluating, how best to position things for our clients? Well, the jobs number is certainly one that's a, a great leading indicator, and I like that one a lot. But uh, GDP is important. Um, that's always uh, a major uh, number that comes out uh, quarterly, and we look at that, uh, you know, in the the prelim numbers as well as the final numbers. Uh, that you know tells you in the big picture the overall health of how things are doing. Um, it's an interesting uh, every every um, data point that you look at has uh, a lot of interesting uh, characteristics of it. And even GDP can be uh, swung very hard by one company. Uh, Boeing can can change that number with less shipments or more shipments. Uh, they're big enough that they, they can make a significant difference there. So uh, it's important to kind of look at the underlying detail of uh, whatever um, data points you're looking at and understand why it's doing that. Uh, you can be misled on that, and it's important to understand, you know, the data points you look at, whether they're factual or not, too, because not every data point is a good data point and, and is meaningful to what you're trying to understand. Well, yeah, you bring up a, you, you bring up a good point, too, just, um, and it, it's, a, it's a question that I know Elle and I, um, we ask a lot, which is, 
where's the best source for some of this data? I mean, the, you know, the, the trusted sources of um, economic data used to be really sound and, and sort of concrete, but with the advent of 24-hour news cycles, which obviously that's been around for a long time, but also just, you know, social media, there's a lot of different ways where those numbers can, can make their way into the public domain and they've been filtered through a lot of opinions by the time they get to the the user i.e me or ellie so how do you absorb all of this content and 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 where are some of the the sources of data that you go to that you can trust sure um you know that is probably one of the best and most important questions of of our conversation here today when you look at like gdp that's produced by the the federal government they're putting those numbers out, same with the employment numbers. Uh, you can argue about you know, whether it's inclusive or exclusive of the right things, but those are the numbers that are consistently measured. Same with inflation, you can look at those. Um, uh, those are very reliable, but there are so many data points that are out there that people talk about that are not legitimate numbers to look at. And um, I would caution everybody to make sure that they you know, understand what they're reading and what it is and uh, where that information came from because there's nothing like bad information to lead to bad decisions. And something I think, Craig, you've always uh, talked to me about is, you know, doing your research and then having, you know, that point to, to look back upon to, to prove what you're saying. And so I think as a consumer, you know, if I'm going to look at which bank to go to or, you know, how, what to do with my money, you know, I think you've always told me, you know, don't just look at one source, kind of what you're saying, you know, look at right. several different opinions, several different sources, several different data points, whether it's, you know, for a bank, you're looking just because you're going to only work in deposits, you should look at the whole picture before you just, you know, make a decision, especially something that involves your, your money and your future. Well, nobody will look after your money as well as you will. So, uh, I encourage everybody to to make sure that they are paying attention and, uh, you know. Yeah, if that's the most important question, let's stay with this one for a little bit longer. Um, you you alluded to the fact that people might debate what's in GDP. Can you can you elaborate a little bit on that? I, I know that is um, something that is some noise that's always associated when the GDP numbers are released, like like almost um, to the level that can we trust this because this isn't a true reflection of the economy. What what are people talking about when they when we hear that? Well, I think when you're talking about uh, any measure, and, and that's a GDP is certainly a good one, um, you want something that's consistently measured. And so if you have a baseline and, and whatever you're, you're, you're looking at, you can say it, it's been running at 100 and 100 is good. If it's now running at 90 and that's not as good, you know that something is degraded in there or it's running at 110, it's doing better. As long as you're consistently measuring uh, elements of um, what you're looking at, that will certainly give you some comfort around uh, the measurements moving directionally. So that's important. But um, GDP can be m measurement of, of a number of components in our gross domestic product. And those being um, inventories is one of the items that rolls in there. And, and a lot of times people argue about how relevant is inventories. And it's like, well, it does have some relevance. You can argue how much relevance. That's certainly, you know, justifiable, but that's how they measure it. And so it's a consistent measure quarter over quarter. And you can 
look at how that performs. And to say that, uh, you know, the U.S. is going to be running at a, you know, 5% GDP consistently is probably not realistic in a, you know, a mature economy like ours. China, on the other hand, they're, they're a growing economy. They can run 8 9%, you know, as, until they get to the point where we are, and then it'll start to come back down to a lower level. So, uh, so I feel that. Yeah, that makes sense. The numbers are, are consistently measured and they reflect directionality pretty well. So the consistency is key. Um, the fact that they've been measuring GDP for a while is 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 important because it gives you a relative benchmark to gauge um, any any fluctuation off of a, a, a normal uh, metric or a standard metric or a measured metric over time. Right. The unemployment rate is another one that's often argued about because that's based on phone surveys, and there'll be arguments as to how realistic is that. Again, it's measured the same way every month, and so it's probably pretty realistic. Is there an error factor in there? Of course there is. So, yeah, I mean, it, it does bring up you know for for maybe a younger audience in particular is is you know they keep hearing about and and obviously you know many of the boomer and gen x cohorts are also espousing this but the 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 economy is changing you hear that a lot the you know you're we're moving away from an industrial economy to a service-based economy and from a service economy to the gig economy and so it kind of brings up the question too is should those metrics and the way they calculate those metrics change commensurate with it but but i guess what you're saying is not necessarily because it's been a tried and true measure for over time. And if we if we mess with the inputs, then we can't necessarily rely on the historical data to have predictive abilities going forward. Well, I would say they need to evolve and change, but we need to understand when those changes occur. And you may see um, a different result month to month when those change or quarter to quarter. But uh, you're right. I think things do need to change as the economy evolves. And, you know, if we were once measuring, you know, um, I don't know, herds of horses in the U.S., that's probably not as relevant today as it was maybe, you know, 200 years ago. So, I, I would love to know how many herds of horses there are in the U.S. today. <laughs> I, I would too now ago, that I but, think about it. So, <laughs> But, I'm, uh, but I'm, uh, I'm maybe not uh, necessarily in the, in the uh, majority position there. But I think understanding those changes and it, you know, again, everybody will argue about whether those changes are the right ones or not, but it does need to evolve and understand how those changes, you know, roll through from quarter to quarter, month to month, whatever you're reporting. Well, and I, I want to go back to this point, too, that Ellie made about just kind of trusting the, the source. I know you've always been um, a big um, advocate um, and and sort of guide and coach to many employees here of like anytime you say something make sure you know where that data not only came from but how it, it how you know understand the data and go back to the source and i think that's such an important um i mean it's an important lesson in life but it's such an important lesson when it comes to some of these metrics that we're talking about and making decisions around your money because money's you know you're you're sort of the money game in my opinion is always one where you're viewing where you are in your financial journey and everyone's financial journey is different and at different stages so someone has a different everyone has a different trajectory um, but i think at the end of the day everyone's looking to accumulate more money 
and um, you know have have greater purchasing power over things that they do decide to buy, no matter how many they they buy. And so, in order to put yourself in that position, I think you need to understand the data points, and that's you know essentially what L was was mentioning, where you know you've been such an advocate for that. Is there is there um, like a a series of analysis or a series of questions that we should be asking ourselves when we're seeing data, like, you know, we, we always use sort of the who, what, where, when, why, where, how evaluation, but is there something else? Well, I, I would I would take it one step further, but before I do that, I would say, you know, definitely understand who's saying it, why they're saying it, because, you know, why they're saying it may be, they may have other motives other than your own well being <laughs> they, they may right. be trying to sell something they may be trying to uh, influence decisions so uh, you know that's important but what I would say layered over the top of all of the the data points and everything I think people need to take the responsibility and, and think does this even make sense to me is this reasonable um, you know how a lot of times you're 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 the best gauge of that and you don't have to know all the details but Oftentimes you can look at something and it's like, yeah, that does not make sense. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. that, is not, that is not right. And you don't need to know anything other than just what your, your own intuition is telling you. But I would check the facts as well. So, Do a gut check as well as a fat check. That's right. Because yeah. many times you can, you can tell when things are not right. So Yeah. Are those real facts or fake facts? Yeah. So. Well, and what's interesting too, um, related to data, is we've the the American public has shown an interest in financial services to some degree, but typically the American public, um, particularly those that are looking for newsworthy stories, are more interested in technology, um, maybe pharmaceutical or biotech. Like those are much sexier um, propositions when you're reading about um, different. Uh, financial or different information in business periodicals. And so um, I think, you know, there's, there's been some studies done on this It you know, G, the financial services makes up about 25% of the GDP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It only gets about 10% of the, the mind share of the American public. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where it takes a situation like we saw in you know, going all the way back to 2001 with the dot-com bust to the financial crisis of 2008 to the pandemic of 2020 for some of these metrics to make their way into the public domain. And so, you know, I, I mean, it's it's kind of unheard of that the Fed minutes now are being like scrutinized word by word. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that too creates a, a dangerous paradigm where people might be interpreting words, very words, like the essential words that come out of the mouths of our Federal Reserve members um, and making improper decisions. How do we protect against um, just the noise that's associated with that? Well, th- that's another interesting thing. I remember when uh, Alan Greenspan was the uh, chair of the Federal Reserve and uh, people would uh, try and interpret, you know, various nuances of how he looked or how he carried his briefcase and it's like we've, we've kind of lost the perspective of what we're really trying to to do here um, I think you can overanalyze things and I think people do we can overload ourselves with too much information um, that's a very easy thing to do and you can get to maybe no decision which is in many cases as bad as a bad decision so um, there's a very yeah, that makes sense. fine line of between, you know, 
making sure you've done your homework and not spending the next three weeks, you know, trying to understand why, you know, rates have moved. They've moved. That's really kind of all you need to know. They've, they've changed. And this is where we are today. That makes sense. I mean, it's kind of like what Tyler was saying with the, you know, the 24 hour news cycle and social media and just everything on the internet, you can go down a rabbit hole and it can be three months later and you still haven't made a decision. And, you know, sometimes that's good. You're comparing a product or, you know, you're looking for a certain item, but like you said, sometimes things just happen. That's how markets move, whether right. it's the direct cause and effect of something or something that they thought was going to affect it and it ended up not, but that's just how the market is. And that's, you know, the economy shifts and things move, but you can't, there's always going to be, I think a little bit of a risk involved that you can't, you can't just over, not enough information is going to get rid of that risk. Right. And some things are just the way they are. It, it doesn't matter how we got there. That's how things are today. And, you know, we need to deal with that, live within those confines of, of what those decisions and that situation has, has brought us. Yeah. So you mean to tell me that um, I sh we shouldn't be making investment decisions and um, decisions about money, whether or not uh, Alan Greenspan carried his briefcase in his left hand versus his right hand? <laughs> that, that is probably not the best way to make decisions. I often hear people right. talk about, uh, you know, the last four times this has happened, you know, the economy has done this. And it's like, four data points are not enough to, to base decisions on that, that <laughs> you, you're not, you know, looking at this correctly. And, and just because it happened a few times in the past doesn't mean it's going to happen in the future. And so it's the first time for everything. So you never know when that first time is going to be right. And, and people try to draw parallels. And I think as humans, that's one thing that we try to do. We try to make sense of the world. Right. And, but we can start to draw the lines, you know, connect the dots a little too much when there really isn't a connection there. That's a good point. And looking looking forward, I mean, right now we're talking about inflation and um, and and the 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 potential for inflation. Obviously, for those you know that have been schooled in in just the fundamental fundamentals of e economics, uh, you know, the adding all of this money into the supply um, or the supply of money into the system, I should say, um, should lead to inflation. So people are very cautious about inflation but the but the latest news from the federal reserve is that they are not yet concerned about inflation and they they likely won't be for some time and in fact we saw um, us missing some of the inflationary targets in 2020 so um, what are your thoughts on inflation and how how much should we be uh, scrutinizing that data well um, that's one of those good measures that people argue about as to if it's real or not because they there's core inflation, there's adjusted inflation, there's all different ways to look at that. And um, so uh, I believe we are seeing some forms of inflation. We're seeing it in the grocery stores right now. We're seeing it in various uh, areas. But as a whole, I think it's it's somewhat tame. I am concerned that as we continue to, to uh, pour money into the economy that we could start to see inflation pick up. Uh, we've talked about that for probably over a, maybe close to two decades that inflation is going to start to rise, and it hasn't. And a lot of that's due to technology efficiencies. Uh, we've gotten um, a tremendous amount of efficiencies out of uh, just uh, pipeline efficiencies like the Amazons of the world that have been able to deliver things to us 
you know, virtually overnight. Um, the technology has made a, a huge difference. Um, when you look at your cell phone right now, your cell phone has more computing power than, than the Apollo um, spacecrafts. Uh, if you can imagine that as in your hand and, you know, we sent people to the moon with less technology. So, um, you know, as long as we, our productivity, our uh, technology continues to move forward, we'll probably be okay, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it, it move higher. We've, we've put a lot of money into the system in the past uh, Yeah, you know, but the fear of inflation might be kind of to your point earlier about people using you know, selective data points to prognosticate in the future, because obviously there are plenty of people in power right now and that are making decisions about the money supply that were scarred or are probably still have scars <laughs> in the right. 70s when there was hyperinflation and runaway inflation. And that was, you know, that was the biggest threat to the American economy for several quarters. So mm -hmm. um, I think you're right. I mean, I hope you're right and that we can absorb a lot more of it because certainly the amount of money that they're pouring into the system today is vastly greater than it ever was back in the 70s, but right. probably with different results. And we'll probably see uh, additional stimulus packages come to us, um, you know, in 2021. So, Yeah, no doubt. I mean, as we're, as we're recording this right now, there's talk of, you know, multi-trillion dollar packages um, and that sort of being the, the quote unquote down payment of the, the next administration mm -hmm. so more and more to come um, in future quarters or months, whatever it might be. So, um, yeah. OK, well, inflation, you know, we'll, we'll take it with a grain of salt, um, as you mentioned. And um, hopefully um, hopefully the economy is um, able to absorb it through the efficiencies that are gained through. The, I, I'm the hopeful that it remains tame, yeah. but we'll, we'll see. So, well. Um, shifting off of inflation and more to a personal note, um, we we are curious about all of our guests when they come on the podcast about what they would be doing if they weren't at First Foundation. So give us a little insight into what you would be doing if you were not working as our serving as our treasure here at First Foundation. I would be traveling. I would be uh, out uh, seeing the world. I uh, would love to do that now and. Uh, you know, with the uh, situation we have throughout the world, most of us are just kind of staying close to home. And uh, I think that's the right thing to do. Make sure we just get through what we got to get through and we can all see the light at the end of the tunnel. And hopefully we'll be coming through that fairly soon. Yeah, I think if you get your Vax Pass, you'll be able to that's uh, right. get on any, any airplane in the world pretty soon here, hopefully. I hope that's true. So. All right. Well, Craig, thank you very much um, for enlightening us um, and, and spending some time with us. We're, we always value your insights and opinions and thoughts. And I know um, I speak from not just Ellie, but everyone at First Foundation. We're grateful for your leadership. And I know our clients benefit from all the hard work you do as well. So thank you. Thank you, well, Craig. Well, thanks for having me on. I mean, it's been a true you know, humbling honor for me to, to be even asked to, to speak with you today. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Craig. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, so that was our treasure, Craig Cardokis. And um, like we mentioned, it, um, we, we always kind of view him as the professor. And um, I think he, he delivered, right? He does. He's taught me a lot um, as I came into banking and just in my short career. I, uh, he just has 
he's a wealth of knowledge. And so he's always someone you can ask and you'll never be curious where the data is from because he's always, even when he comes and talks to you about something, I would trust him in a heartbeat, but he always has that piece of paper highlighted or circled with the backup ready to go. So you know exactly where you got it from and what you're hearing is, is the truth. Or at least, at least, you know, he knows what he's talking about and he knows where he gets it from. Yeah, that's true. You, you don't, I mean, it's really hard to get a, a true opinion out of them, which is which is a breath of fresh air, I think, in this um, yeah. in this environment. <laughs> so true. He is not. He does not shove his opinion in your face. He he lets you make your own, which is I think kind of a, a true. It, it holds up to his a nickname of the professor because it's about educating yourself and letting you form your own opinion based on the data and the facts and how you see something, not how you know someone else may. Yeah, that's right. And and I, he, he epitomizes this notion that we're trying to do on this podcast, which is demystifying financial services. He really breaks it down to some first principles and helps um, helps turn some very complex concepts into um, much easier doses of information to absorb and understand. Yeah, and it, I mean, it gets you thinking. He got me thinking even when he was talking about you know how you know we look at different you know with inflations there's different different efficiencies that come about you know and we've had like you mentioned amazon and things like that but then you know it's got me thinking you know this could you know there's there's good and bad with everything and you know we're going through a pandemic but we're all learning the efficiencies of that working from home model and you know the reduction in maybe office space that's going to save some companies money you know they might not need a floor in a building they might be able to just do it from home you know and so he just sparks you to think about different things and it made me think you know I wonder how that's going to affect you know all of those data points he talked about you know maybe unemployment could go down because there's more opportunity to hire more people because you're you know you don't have to necessarily provide an office or maybe you know we get inflation goes down because there's better efficiencies because you know I know how to record a podcast from my house rather than having to be in a studio you know there's there, it just he sparks a lot of a lot of good thinking and and uh, good questions I think yeah we're certainly lucky to have him so um thank you Elle for joining us um and, and continuing you, to join us leader. on this, this this journey of podcasting are um yes. uh, hopefully you had fun and um we're ready for another one right uh, I always do and we'll have our next guest very soon I'm sure Okay, great. Well, thanks, Ellie. We'll talk to you soon. And thanks to everybody for listening. Take care. Thanks, Tyler. Bye. Bye.